Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. Welcome back as we head into hour three. Well, I was wondering where the left would go after COVID and after the rest of the country woke up to the concept that the Dobbs decision was not written by Margaret Atwood. I mean, how much fear and panic can you disseminate? And where do you go after shutting down businesses, schools, churches, travel, and darn near everything else? Where to go after you tell the world Republicans in America will be responsible for women's death? When the only person targeted for death in the whole abortion discussion is Brett Kavanaugh and crisis pregnancy centers around the country. You go to the only next logical place. You try to bring COVID back, as we discussed yesterday and Tuesday. But when your volcano is an exhausted shell of itself, and here I mean volcano Fauci, you need something else. You need something stronger. There's really only one thing stronger. After we test bombed the country with COVID that left Republicans not only still in existence, but poised to take back the country as a result of incompetence and socialism. What is that one thing? What's the one thing that could be worse? Well, it's the worst thing in the world. Nuclear war. I give you New York City, the heartbeat and brain center of leftism and liberalism in America, maybe even in the world. You've maybe seen or heard this public service ad they just released for television in New York City. If you haven't, here it is. Maestro, please. So there's been a nuclear attack. Don't ask me how or why. Just know that the big one has hit. Okay? So what do we do? There are three important steps that I want you to remember. Step one, get inside fast. You, your friends, your family... Get inside. And no, staying in the car is not an option. You need to get into a building and move away from the windows. Step two, stay inside. Shut all doors and windows. Have a basement? Head there. If you don't have one, get as far into the middle of the building as possible. If you were outside after the blast, get clean immediately. Remove and bag all outer clothing to keep radioactive dust or ash away from your body. Step three, stay tuned. Follow media for more information. Don't forget to sign up for Notify NYC for official alerts and updates. And don't go outside until officials say it's safe. All right, you've got this. What's interesting to me about that, aside from the seemingly coming out of nowhere potential of America going through a nuclear holocaust or a nuclear attack without any concept whatsoever of a pre-warning, is each one of those three suggestions were the exact same three suggestions during COVID. Go inside and stay inside. Shut doors and windows. When you come home, remove clothing and shower. Is any of this ringing familiar to you folks? And then the third one is my favorite. Favorite, 
follow the media and don't go outside or do anything else until officials tell you to. Can we? Does what works for COVID work for nuclear war too? The mediation efforts for COVID and the mediation efforts here are going to be equally successful against both. They're going to be equally successful against both. I don't know where else to begin here except let's recall, though COVID really started in Washington State and nobody seems to recall it, New York took immediate and quick ownership of it, oddly and proudly. A panic and hysteria that did not and would not come true radically degraded this country, rending and wrecking social destruction it will take years to fix. What are the major lessons learned here? How did we go from an ethos of let's roll 19 years ago when America was hit by a major attack from outside forces, particularly in New York City, to let's roll up in a ball and cower inside or under our desks or beds as if this were the Cuban Missile Crisis all over again. New York City, as I say, is not only the heart and brain of leftism in this country, the entire world and certainly American media is centered and headquartered there. The media has also long been invested in blaring headlines, trying to attract as much attention for and to a story as possible. Reporting news was replaced with raising alarms and heightening tensions long ago. Lost is the notion that if something is too bad to be true or too good to be true, it probably is not true. Conspiracy theories and extreme rhetoric have replaced fact and reason, as well as reasonableness. This has been aided and embedded by a series of left-wing notions that have come to dominate our politics, giving us a new paranoid style in American politics. In the 1970s, Professor Paul Ehrlich, author of The Population Bomb, gained popularity and notoriety for predicting, quote, hundreds of millions of people will starve to death. In the 1980s, we were scared into believing a nuclear winter would create a human and climatic catastrophe where over one billion people would be killed from, quote, a precipitous drop in the Earth's temperatures and widespread failures of crops leading to deadly famine, close quote. In the 1990s, up through Greta Thunberg's Person of the Year designation, climate change, no longer a warming or cooling, just change, presaged no tomorrow while entire ecosystems were collapsing before our eyes. I believe we were given 12 years to fix it or die. We have seen much the same fighting and fight-inducing extreme rhetoric with our domestic politics. You've heard me on this before. Barry Goldwater was not just wrong for America in 1964. His policies weren't just too conservative. He was, quote-unquote, psychologically unfit to be the president. With certified medical doctors publicly opining in a famous magazine that he, quote, had the same pathological makeup as Hitler, Castro, Stalin, and other known schizophrenic leaders, close quote. On and on we can show how the left in America with its mainstream media enablers and ideological soulmates have ramped up our political rhetoric and fear beyond any reason or ability to make calm and rational assessments. Donald Trump, for example, is not wrong or conservative. He's an existential threat to America, worse than Hitler, and, of course, responsible for all the deaths from COVID-19. Biden is, of course, responsible, though more died during his presidency with an extant vaccine than did under Donald Trump's with no vaccine. 
We've been conditioned to hyperbolic exaggeration. We've been numbed into implausible ravings. Or too many of us have, or too many in the left think that is what has purchase here. Thus, when the coronavirus came to America, we were primed enough to accept and cower in front of models of death, guessing millions of us in America would be killed. And now, after the damage was ignited by shutdowns and panic, the social destruction of this irresponsible fear-mongering, it's going to take a very long time to undo and a lot of money if we ever can return to anything like our old normal. Assuming the worst here, whipping the population into a frenzy and panic is, as Abraham Lincoln warned us long ago, not healthy for the perpetuation of our political institutions or any other institution. As part of our national affright, we engaged in a national shuttering of our best forces of composition in this society, such as churches and synagogues, schools, Venues for physical exercise, 12-step meetings, just at the time of their greatest needs, service, traffic, and interest. Thus, no surprise, over the course of the past two years, suicide hotline calls, alcoholism, other illegal drug use and domestic violence, and suicide ideation and self-harm and anxiety and depression have skyrocketed, particularly with our youth, and more social destruction will ensue. I recall saying a year or more ago, as the COVID-19 deaths turn into our regular flu after all this, let us never again surrender our common and rational sense and thought. Well, let us not do it now. Fear and panic, most counselors or even business and career mentors will tell you, are the worst kinds of emotions to base decisions upon. And yet the Democrats and the left hew and hold to that hydra head. They cling to it for dear life as if it were grim death. Women will die because of Kavanaugh. Millions here will die because of COVID, which is everywhere. Again, according to the Arizona Republic and the East Coast media, Donald Trump is a tyrant. Republicans are white supremacists, even if they're black. And because Democrats cannot do one thing blind and deafen us all, it's not working anymore. So they ramp up the fear and the rhetoric. And I got to tell you, not even I thought they'd go for nuclear war. But here's what truly frightens. When this doesn't work, God, please let it not. Where do they go next? There's really nowhere left to go. Except perhaps where C.S. Lewis wanted. And we'll talk about that when we come. Right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, portions of which are brought to you by the good people at Y-Refi. They are good people who are doing well by doing good for other people, and you can be too. Check them out at investyrefi.com if you're interested in the unique investment opportunity they are offering. A fixed no-load interest rate up to 10 and a quarter percent for investors all in a secure and collateralized portfolio. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm in the business of helping people pay down and off their debts. People do very well working with Y-Refi. And if you're interested, again, investyrefi.com or give them a call at 855-316-3087. 855 316 Or a local company, you can meet with them. You won't get a sales pitch. They'll just tell you 
about what they do and let it speak for itself. I was mentioning C.S. Lewis in the context of COVID and nuclear uh, war thoughts in my monologue in the previous segment, a sentence I never thought I'd utter. But um, thanks to the left, New York City, we're talking about nuclear war again and in the context of COVID again. About uh, April of 2020, people had rediscovered an essay by C.S. Lewis about how to live in a nuclear age, how to live with the atomic bomb. And what they found in that speech was great calm, peace, and humane counsel about how we should perhaps also think about living with the novel coronavirus. And we made these analogies to what C.S. Lewis was writing about the nuclear bomb. And what's ironically funny to me today is that we don't need to make that analogy anymore when we quote C.S. Lewis on this, because we don't have to make the analogy to COVID in what he wrote about the atomic bomb. We can just make it about what he was talking about in the 1940s, because New York City is wanting us to talk about that very thing again with their PSA on nuclear war. Well, the left will never go for humanity, peace, and calm. Never. So let's just hope they are the ones that go away and work so as to realize that hope. And let us revisit what it is C.S. Lewis said about the nuclear bomb. And I should like to think COVID as well. In one way, we think a great too much, a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I'm tempted to reply why as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night, or indeed, as you are, as you are already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented, and quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. We had indeed one very great advantage over our ancestors, anesthetics. But we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances, and which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. C.S. Lewis concluded, This is the first point to be made, and the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. Pull yourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by a bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing human and sensible things, praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs, for they may break our bodies just as any microbe can do, but they need not dominate our minds. Once upon a time, we were told not to be afraid, folks. Once upon a time, psychologists told us not to make decisions 
based on fear. As I mentioned in my monologue in the previous segment, I don't think it's just psychologists and psychiatrists. You think about mentors, youth mentors, business mentors, career mentors. When you present them with a, with a crossroads in your life or you present them with a series of options or decisions, you're not which, what, sure which way to go. You might even be apprehensive or fearful of taking on one or another. Almost always they will say, don't make your decision based on fear. Don't make it based on panic. Don't make it one based on paranoia. Those are not good decisions ever. They usually don't end well. It's not a healthy way to make decisions. It seems to me we need a little bit more C.S. Lewis right now. I am dumbstruck by this PSA, dumbstruck by this PSA in New York City with the three pieces of advice. First of all, it's running on TV and radio. The TV has a model who's walking you through it. We played it in the previous segment. If you missed it, you may have seen it aired or broadcast on other media over the last two days. Because what happens in New York City doesn't stay in New York City, of course, and they know that. They know that. You make a local story in New York City, you've got an international story. You certainly have a national one. That's what it means to have the media based in New York City. But I am just gobsmacked over the lack of creativity, I suppose, and the return to type at the same time. That the same solutions for COVID they gave us are the same solutions for a nuclear war. So we don't really need to stretch very much to make those analogies between C.S. Lewis's work on the atomic bomb and COVID, do we? What they told us about nuclear war this week is if a bomb comes, get inside fast and shut the doors and windows. In other words, no more public frolicking, no more public spaces. Because, as you know, a virus like a nuclear bomb can't get in past a closed window or a closed door, right? Can't do it. Did not most of the COVID spread happen inside houses that were shuttered? Yes, it did. Advice of number two, number two, second piece of advice, stay inside. Don't go outdoors. And if you were outdoors, remove your clothes and shower. Wash your hands and get clean. I remember people doing that with orthodoxy in 2020, coming home from work if they were allowed to go to work, taking their clothes off and getting in the shower as if we were all Karen Silkwood. Again, nuclear applicability to COVID mediation. And then third, oh my gosh, my favorite, the best of all, their third piece of advice, listen to the media and don't go outside until the government tells you to. Man, if their lack of creativity doesn't kill us, their paranoia will. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. What a delight to bring back. Uh, I'm going to start calling her our good friend. She has become that, Bethany Mandel. You can follow her on Twitter, one of the greatest and most active Twitter feeds, Bethany Sean Dark. She is the editor at Heroes of Liberty, the children's book series. Check that out. We'll talk more about that in a moment. She's a contributing writer for the Deseret News and a columnist at Fox News. I want to talk to her about her column in Fox News at foxnews.com today. Bethany, welcome back. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Um, Bethany, did you see in the first go-round of COVID back in 2020 this quote that went around by C.S. Lewis about how to live in an atomic or nuclear age by chance? Did you ever see that? 
people no. it's an interesting quote he has about people shouldn't panic we're all destined to die at some point or another anyway when death oh, comes it's it, it well it was comforting in the sense of you know don't panic we were using it to say don't panic about covid either don't disrupt everything right. and we were trying to make that analogy and I just realized how easy the left just made it for us because now they are putting out ads in New York City on nuclear war and an atomic bomb. I guess COVID wasn't strong enough for them, but we're back to COVID, aren't we? We are. BA5 is coming to wreck more havoc. Your piece, two years of COVID, woke schools devasca- devastated our kids. Will the education bosses ever wise up? Tell us about what you learned in Montgomery County with uh, your children's cohort. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So thank God my kids are not um, in our local school. Thank God. Um, because things, yeah, because things are not great here. Um, the, you know, the the test scores have absolutely plummeted. Crime has skyrocketed. And, you know, the, the local unions here have, um, you know, they've, they prioritized um, not education, but uh, equity. And so it was funny, actually. Someone sent me a picture yesterday. There was a, a teacher at the at the, their local pool, and the teacher was reading equity and grading. And that's, uh, you know, that's, that's the focus of day one of professional development here in Montgomery County is, uh, is about, um, you know, erasing the binary and welcoming LGBTQ students and, you know, if if I were the union and I saw the test scores that were just released, it would be a five alarm fire. And it's not. They're 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 just not taking this seriously at all. And you know, there was a, an incredible Gallup survey that was just released, I think, a couple minutes ago. And uh, Republican confidence in public schools uh, went from thirty four percent in twenty twenty down to fourteen percent in twenty twenty two. Wow. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's really tanked on a partisan level, and it's because I think Republicans and, you know, conservatives are seeing, you know, the priority is, uh, is indoctrination. It isn't, um, it isn't education. I wonder if we know what the Democrat number's confidence in, in the public school system oh. is, and I would not be surprised if it's unchanged or potentially even higher in some respects. I noticed the NEA, the National Education Association, largest teachers union group, last week said that they declared that they are a social justice organization. Not a lot on reading, yeah. not a lot on math, but a lot on... So the, the gap, according to Gallup, is mm-hmm. 25%. But overall, uh, Americans' confidence remains quite low, with 28% saying they have a great deal or a lot of confidence in the institution, compared to 32% last year. And forty-one percent in twenty twenty. So it's it's down a great deal in just just two years, um, even on a nonpartisan basis. It's really interesting that 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 that's coming around now because. Um not only is the NEA and these other large teacher, the AFT teachers unions, not only are they doubling down on social uh, education from their national platforms, their local leaders are telling this. Uh, this uh, this sort of story to us all the time as well. I, I, I found no quote so poignant as the head of the United Teachers of Los Angeles, which I think is the largest school district in the country, uh, saying there's no denying learning loss at all. There's no such thing as learning loss, she said. Our students <laughs> are learning about riots and protesting, she said. That's what they think public education is about, I suppose, huh? 
Yeah, yeah, that's a long way from from reading and writing, huh? And, and and our students are falling farther and farther behind from that line on reading yeah. and writing. In your column, you said something that I thought was so important and needed to be said, which is we knew even as early as the summer of 2020 who was going to be at risk from COVID-19, and we also knew who was going to pay for those risks we were putting the country through in our mediation efforts. I have to take a quick commercial break. Can we talk about that when we come back, too? Absolutely. I'm Seth Liebson. She is Bethany Mandel. And I want you, uh, if you are interested in looking uh, looking at some books for your children, look at her project. Look at the Heroes of Liberty books. They are fantastic. And i got to tell you, not only do I vouch for them, I've bought all of them. All of them that are out and more to come. Heroesofliberty.com. We'll be right back. It is a delight to have Bethany Mandel with us. She is the editor of the Heroes of Liberty book series, a contributing writer for the Deseret News, and a columnist for Fox News, where we are talking about her current column up today, Two Years of COVID, Woke Schools Devastated Our Kids. Well, the education bosses ever wise up you write uh you write bethany that in march we knew exactly who the vulnerable population would be with regard to covid and a lot of us also knew who the vulnerable population would be in the social emotional and mental uh destruction in the policies and dealing with covid the left didn't seem to care about either of those populations um in the sense of we want to take a blunderbuss to the entire country and who cares what happens to the kids, who cares what happens to the vulnerable. And we're going to be spending, I don't know, years, if not more than maybe a decade dealing with what we have wrought here. And we're bringing it back. Yeah. That's the odd thing. They're doing it again. Yep. Yeah, it, it, it's really disturbing to watch. And, you know, I, I remember vividly sitting in my daughter's bed. I remember where it was. We lived in a different house. And looking at charts from China of, you know, these are the people that are dying in China. These are the people that are fine. You are fine. Mommy and Daddy will be fine. Great-grandma is going to have to take some precautions. Uh, We knew right from the start who were vulnerable. And, you know, it used to be that we would put women and children first onto the lifeboats. Right. And instead, in in New York City, when when they released a chart of everything that would be reopened and and the, the sort of the intervals in which everything would be reopened, yeah. when what was prioritized, schools, was zero, was dead last. Is that right? I didn't realize last that. Thing. Is that yes. right? Is that right? Yep. And, and you know, bars, everything, they, they put it right in writing. Schools were the absolute last thing that they reopened. And, you know, people our age, in my, you know, in my 30s, two years inside is not fun, but it's, you know, it's manageable. I have a three-year-old who doesn't remember life before COVID. I have a five-year-old who doesn't remember life before COVID. My baby has literally never seen my pediatrician's face. And that has long-term consequences. I walked in my pediatrician's office, and he, my pediatrician, it was like a Saturday visit, and we had to go in because he was sick, and my pediatrician forgot to put his mask on. And he apologized, and I was like, honestly, I'd actually like him to see your face yeah. and form a connection with yeah, you. Yeah. Um, and and I think that struck my pediatrician because we realized, oh, oh my God, this kid has never seen my face. That's so um, interesting. The things we took for granted. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and when you think about like with with medical care, 
kids are going in with a lot more fear and a lot more trepidation because they can't form that personal connection. And a fear of medical providers ingrained at infancy going through toddlerhood, and that's that's going to have public health ramifications. So there, there's so many of these little things that people are just not thinking through as far as how we're handling COVID and what that is going to look like on a long-term basis. You're right at that level, absolutely. You're right on that one, and that's one I hadn't thought thought about, uh, children making connections with their pediatricians. That I'm, I'm, I should have thought of it sooner. I'm glad you brought it up. One of the things I had been focused on, Bethany, love your comment on it, is the other angle we shot at with the children. So um, you look at how COVID has affected those under the age of 18, and the answer is drowning is worse. Uh, the drowning numbers have been higher. We knew that early on as well. But what did we do when we closed down these schools and disrupted their social and um, and academic uh, lives, educational lives, and athletic lives at the snap of a fingers mm-hmm. in telling these children that we were afraid of them? Because that's exactly yeah. the communication we were giving. They might poison another child, another family member, a grandma or a grandpa, we made them fearful to even be alive. That's what we were telling yeah, them. That's agreed. what we were telling them. That's not going to take and, a year to get rid of. No, and we told them that they are responsible for our well-being right. and our health. That's that it. That's it. Opposite. Exactly yep. right. Exactly right. Yep. It's as if you've seen these... Uh, You've seen these videos of kindergarten teachers in Florida crying because they can't tell their students about their sex lives o- over the weekend. <laughs> it's the it's yeah. the same side. It's the other side of that coin. We have adults codependent yep. for their emotional health on children. Yep, yep, that's exactly right. Yeah, they, it used to be that you know adults were responsible for children, and mm-hmm. it was our job to be caretakers for their emotional well-being, for their physical well-being. And the last two years have shown that um, it's the opposite. We expect children to validate and uh, and to make adults feel better. Putting cloth masks on a two-year-old does nothing but make an adult feel better. Right. And we've sent a message to a child that their physical comfort matters less than the emotional comfort of an adult. That's right. That's exactly what we have said. That's exactly what we have done. And now we're shocked, I guess, to realize <laughs> that the suicide ideation and emergency department visits and the emotion, the anxiety, that the anxiety and the depression levels, all the while, you said it earlier, Bethany, all the while, when the new ethos in education is social and emotional learning, SEL, and, we, and yep. we've taken a sledgehammer to their social and emotional lives at the same time. I don't know how we walk for we apply the gas and the brake the gas and the brake at the same time. It's really what we are doing though with these kids. No yep. wonder they're so messed up. Yep, yep, that's exactly right. And, and we're sort of teaching them that being messed up is uh, is the goal. <laughs> you know, where you, you're sort of you shout your abortion and you you constantly sort of uh, play victim and, and encourage victimhood and. We're seeing that a lot with uh, with CRT and gender relations, constantly having to have kids um, sort of justify their victimhood in some way. Yeah, that's um, it. Find that's themselves it. on a victimhood uh, sort of scale. And we've internalized that that's a good thing, that they should be identifying and self-identifying as victims and as people who are incapable instead of people who are capable and um, and that has, you know, mental health ramifications as well. You're right. 
I don't know. I'm giving you all these assignments. I don't know if you saw this piece by Leo Leo Sapir in City Journal on uh, harming children's psyches, but that was the point he was making. Uh, That's exactly the point. Kids who are born um, by chance in a Caucasian household are driven to find some kind of victim status. And if that happens to be... Uh, in the sexual realm, or if it happens to be in the health realm, so much the better. We're creating a nation of victims. That's exactly right. And um, we're going to take a long time to dig out of that one, too. Bethany Mandel, you're just a treasure. We'd have to invent you if you didn't exist. So we thank you for inventing <laughs> Heroes of Liberty. Heroesofliberty.com, folks. You want books for your kids. You want to give your kids not only intellectual, but other health Give them these books. Bethany Mandel, until next time, thank you so much. Thank you, Seth. As always. Thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us. Uh, really appreciate you all. Uh, it's funny how much uh, news AOC attracts Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, isn't it? And people vacillate between whether we should give her attention or ignore her. Uh, you know, as we're going through these January 6 hearings, yes, this um, this uh, impromptu interview she did, it should be in a fair world cause for her to be called as a witness or for perhaps Nancy Pelosi to be called for a witness or at least more capital security apparatuses. It's interesting that Nancy Pelosi will not be called as a witness to the January 6th hearings. You know why it's interesting? Because the way the House has run everything from uh, when the doors open to when the doors close to how much security there will be to how little security, everything about the House falls into the Speaker of the House's purview. And it's her job. So if there's a question about security lapses or security threats on January 6th, and she was so supportive in really instigating and initializing and catalyzing of this January 6th set of hearings, she shouldn't be immune. She should. She even picked the members of the, of, of the panel. She even picked the Republican members, dismissing Kevin McCarthy's choices. She shouldn't be immune from being asked. But here's AOC with an interesting thesis. These insurrectionists and that there were actual officers working with this and we never got to the bottom of that and we never got any answers about that and then to this day we're just supposed to pretend that that never happened i have no idea what happened to the people on the inside who were very clearly sympathetic with what was going on and opening the doors wide open for that and we're i'm supposed to sit here and pretend like none of that ever happened and then right afterwards you have a massive, you know, you just have this idea that throwing money at that problem is going to make it go away without any buildings. accountability. And so this is this is where these things are breaking down. We're not safe. And it's not just about members of Congress not being safe. She doesn't think members of Congress were safe on January 6th because of security. The call was coming from within the House. Where have you heard that before? Will that be examined in these hearings? No, of course it will not. The real gem there is her saying you can't fix a problem by throwing money at it. Can we make some bumper stickers? Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, you can't fix a problem by throwing more money at it. You heard her say it here, folks. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. I'm Seth Liebson, and class is dismissed.